Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So it is Rosh Chodesh Adar. It is Rosh Chodesh Adar, and today is the first day in the month of Adar. And it is not just any beginning of a month. It is not just any Rosh Chodesh, although that in itself is powerful and beautiful, but it's Rosh Chodesh Adar. And Rosh Chodesh Adar means that it is the day on which we know that our sages have taught us that from the time that Adar comes in, Simchas, Simcha starts to happen. It is the month of Simcha that we have just gone into. And if you don't know what Simcha means, Simcha means joy or joyous occasion. And Simcha means happiness. And Simcha means positivity. And Simcha means positive energy. We have just gone into the time, the period in the Jewish calendar. We have just gone into the time in the Jewish calendar, the period that we have been told for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is the time of positive energy for the Jewish people. It is good times. It is positive times. And please, God, it will be those good times and we'll be able to realize those good times and um, that positive energy in everything that we do, not only during this month, but, of course, in the months, the days, and the years that follow hereafter. So let's analyze for a moment what is Rosh Chodesh and why the month of Adar is so significant. And perhaps we're going to take you back to a rather strange place. And that strange place is um, Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt a, about three and a half thousand years ago when the Jewish people were still in Egypt. In fact, six weeks before their departure, six weeks before the Jewish people left Egypt, on Rosh Chodesh Adar, no, we left on Pesach, which was the middle of the month of uh, Nisan, next month. But on Rosh Chodesh Adar, six weeks before they left Egypt, the lights went out. Now, this wasn't because of load shedding. It wasn't because of Eskom being in charge, but rather because it was a plague of darkness. The plague of darkness that happened on the first day of Adar happened on the first day of Adar in the year that we got out of Egypt, and it was literally six weeks before we got out of Egypt. So we could look at it and we could say, wow, what a terrible thing. What a terrible plague. That plague brought darkness, and nobody really likes darkness. Darkness means negativity. Darkness means um, bad stuff. Darkness is not the kind of environment and the kind of uh, thing that we would like to uh, wallow in and that we'd like to spend our time in. Darkness doesn't make life easy and it doesn't make life that pleasant. But what was that darkness all about? Well, we actually are told that this wasn't an ordinary darkness and it was not ordinary in any possible fashion by any stretch of the imagination. The darkness that came on Rosh Chodesh Adar in the time in the desert was one of the ten plagues. In fact, it was the second last of the ten plagues. It was really um, the about-to-be-getting-out-of-Egypt sign. It was uh, just before we quit Egypt. But this darkness was unique in a number of ways. It was unique in that it was such a thick darkness that it was it um, it, it it crippled people. It made people unable to move. It was, you talk about intense, thick darkness. People were glued to their places. They weren't able to move. 
And which people were glued? It was the Egyptians, the, the oppressive Egyptians who had enslaved the Jewish people for hundreds of years and who were unrelenting, and Pharaoh, of course, being the most unrelenting of all, who didn't want to let the Jewish people go, and they continually wanted their rights, and they continually wanted to get their, to gain their freedom. And he, the oppressive ruler that he was, was now struck by plague after plague after plague until eventually he softened and let the Jewish people go. And of course, that's why we celebrate Pesach. But here on Rosh Chodesh Adar was the beginning of the plague of darkness. Darkness that was so thick that people couldn't move. And Torah goes out of its way to tell us that they couldn't interact. There was no interaction whatsoever. In fact, they couldn't, as it says, see their own brothers. What does that mean? Well, you know, if you have your own brother, I guess, in front of you, you could recognize them in very little light. So first of all, first and foremost, it's telling us that um, it was such an intense darkness that even people who you were familiar with were unrecognizable. It was thick blackness. And that thick blackness, that thick darkness that um, enveloped them entirely and struck them and stuck them to their places did not allow them to have any interaction with each other. And why? Because they didn't respect each other, because they didn't respect brothers, because there was no love between you. If you want to create love between people, you need to create that love and you need to create that light. You need to bring <coughs> that, you need to bring that brightness uh, between um, people. And when that happens, of course, we create light. And here there was this intense darkness. It was a distance. It was thick. It was all-encompassing. It was something that stunted their ability to move about and to move around. It was something that was absolutely huge. They were stuck to their places, and they couldn't see each other. You know, we often talk about, well, and people use it kind of colloquially, I get you. I see you. I see your point of view. I hear you. People like to say that. Well, here there was such a thick darkness, they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't see each other. They couldn't feel each other. They couldn't move to interact with each other. This was the darkness. But who did it strike? It struck the Egyptians. It struck those who were oppressors. It struck those who didn't care for, uh, not only for uh, uh, the Jewish people, but they didn't care for morality. They didn't care for any kind of practice that was uh, moral or ethical or right or correct. And therefore, one of the plagues was this terrible, thick darkness. But Torah goes, out of its way to tell us, but for the Jewish people, there was light in their places. They had light, and they didn't only have light. They had some, some kind of a supernatural light, which enabled them to see things that ordinarily wouldn't be seen. They were able to see through the walls of the homes of the Egyptians, and when they were going to leave, they were able to ask of the Egyptians the things that they had seen and say, well, we know that you have this piece of valuable uh, material. We know that you have money stashed in this place and so on. Um, please um, give it to us. Um, and, of course, the Egyptians are only too pleased to get rid of the Jewish people after all the plagues, showered them with all these gifts and all these things and all these items. So it gave the Jewish people a sight, but for the Egyptians it was a darkness. This is something that is absolutely phenomenal. And perhaps it really cuts to the chase of what Rosh Chodesh Adar is actually all about.
Let's fast forward a little bit. And when we think about um, the upcoming Chag, the upcoming festival of Purim, perhaps we'll be able to shed a little bit more light on the darkness that came about all those years ago on Rosh Chodesh Adar. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Let's fast forward, as we said just before the break, to what the month of Adar and its joyous notion and connotation is really all about. Well, of course, it's because in the middle of the month we celebrate Purim. The beautiful Chag, the beautiful festival of Purim, which celebrates, of course, the salvation of the Jewish people. Salvation of the Jewish people from the hands of Haman. Haman Arosha, the wicked Haman, and the king Ahasuerus, who wanted to destroy the Jewish people. Remember the story, Esther, who was the queen at the time, Mordechai, who was one of the advisors in the king's cabinet, um, were faced with this terrible, terrible thing that every Jew everywhere was under threat of extinction, of being wiped out by this decree of Haman. It was to kill off, to wipe out, to obliterate, to completely uh, wipe from the face of the earth the entire Jewish people. And, thank God, the entire event, the entire thing, not only became something that um, was uh, thwarted, but in fact it was completely turned around. And it was Homon and his band of family and men and advisors who actually perished. And the Jewish people went on to celebrate, until this day, the festival, the Chag of Purim, the beautiful salvation of the Jewish people in the most... (coughs) way. So, when we think about um, Purim, one of the things that actually got Homon really excited was the fact that when it came to the concept of Purim, Purim means lottery or lots. Homon drew lots to determine which month and which day the Jewish people would be destroyed. His idea of drawing lots, perhaps, was that he was actually saying We're going to leave this all up to God to decide. Your God, the Jewish God, who you say oversees everything, let him decide on which day his people will be obliterated. And he started celebrating, perhaps a little bit too soon, when he realized that the month of Adar was the month that was drawn. Now, why was he so happy about this month of Adar? Because in his history books... And in the chronicles that he read, he realized that the greatest leader of all, the greatest leader of the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu Moses, had passed away in Adar. In fact, the seventh of Adar, of course, is the Yorzeit, is the day of passing of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses. And so he kind of got the hint that this was something exceptionally, exceptionally powerfully right for the Jewish people to be destroyed on that day. Look, your greatest leader died on that day. Look, it's a sad day for the Jewish people. Look at the wonders and the workings of this lottery. Look at God's hand in it all. He has picked the month of Adar in which the Jewish people are going to meet their fate. There was only one problem. He didn't know all that much, I guess, about Jewish history. And the fact is that we know that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses, died and was born, actually, on the same date, the same day. 
So while you're looking at the negative, while you're looking at the darkness, while you're looking at the death, at the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu, actually the Jewish people focus on his birth. The fact that he came into this world for the 120 years that he was on earth and that he led us in our uh, sojourn in the desert and got us out of Egypt and did all these wonderful things for the Jewish people, this incredibly, incredibly powerful character and personality and godly man called Moshe, called Moses, was actually born in the month of Adar. Now, what do we focus on? Do we focus on the death or do we focus on the birth? And even if we're focusing on death, from the Jewish point of view, somebody like Moshe didn't really die. His spirit lived on. He, in fact, um, Torah goes out of its way to tell us that he ascended the mountain and nobody actually knows the burial site of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses. He was kind of taken up by God and... Who says that he actually died? His spirit continues. His spirit lives on. Yes, he went up the mountain. He disappeared physically on that day. But in fact, we think about Moshe Rabbeinu as our leader, even up until today. And of course, every day we study the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu scribed on God's behalf. Every day we think about Moshe. We read about Moshe. We study him. We uh, pray prayers um, um, uh, lauding his praise and thinking about him as the ultimate in God's um, service as the king, as the Mashiach uh, the Messiah of those days of course this was Moshe, this was Moses and so when we think about Hamon and his band of nasty men when they came up with the month of Adar and celebrated they celebrated way too soon because that's not how Jews think we don't look at darkness and say that's dark We look at darkness and we say, where and how can we bring light into that darkness? What kind of light can we bring to light up the darkness that pervades not only or pervaded not only in the time of Egypt, but actually is all around us and all about us today? And as we even sit here, the concept of darkness, maybe not in a physical realm, in a physical way, but there's a darkness, an ignorance, a lack of knowledge, a lack of will to be understanding, a lack of peace, a lack of unity. All of those things are rather dark places, but the Jewish attitude is, how do I fix that? How do I bring light to that? How do I light the candle, light the flame that will dispel that darkness, that will push it away, that will make it into something that is forgotten? And God kind of guarantees us that the light that we will be able to create through our Torah and our mitzvot is not just the light of uh, the globes, the bulbs that are above your head or that are on your table right now or that are in your cell phone and so on and that work in a a physical fashion, but the light will be an exceptional light. And the light that we create through doing good deeds is one that not only will lift us and light us up, but it will create simcha. It will create absolute joy, the joyousness, the happiness of uh, the coming of Mashiach, the happiness of living a life that is productive, that's meaningful, the happiness of realizing what it actually is that we're doing on this earth and how all these other things are just distractions, and they're there perhaps at times to tempt us, at times to throw us off, at times just to be there for us to learn how not to behave. And we, blazing our trail forward as we do as Jews, light up this path of life and this path of success and this path of all things that are good and kind and wonderful 
This, in fact, is the type of light that we need to create and the simcha that it will really lead to. If we think about Rosh Chodesh per se, Rosh Chodesh per se, if we take a look at the moon, which is the symbol of the Jewish people in the calendar, and we think about the moon on a Rosh Chodesh, the moon is dark. It's a dark moon. But each day it adds a little bit of light and it becomes a little bit brighter in the sky. And eventually in the night sky, the full moon, which will be just at the time of Purim, and of course a month later, just at the time of Pesach, that full moon lights up the night sky like a ball of fire, although it is only reflecting, of course, the light of the sun, but it is something so special and so beautiful and so bright in the night sky, realizing that light can push away darkness, that light can change darkness, and albeit that it may seem small, and albeit that it may start out with just a little sliver of light, eventually it does push away that darkness and create the type of light that is spiritual, that is special, that's beautiful, and that's more powerful actually than the light that, as we know it, regular light that perhaps comes from electricity and other means of creating light within a physical world. So, when we think of Rosh, Chodesh, Adar, we're thinking about the Rosh is a head, Chodesh is a month, but it also has the word of Chadash, which means new. It is a new head, or getting a head with a new thought of the month of Adar. And all of that combined perhaps means that each and every one of us needs a little bit of an attitude adjustment, an adjustment within our heads, within our minds, of uh, being able to take a look at everything and not just see darkness and not see darkness at all, perhaps, but to see instead of darkness, to see an opportunity, instead of um, things that are difficult to see a, a, a possibility of changing them, of making them better, to see something that seems meaningless and bringing meaning to it. This certainly must be and is of necessity the job of a Jewish person, of each and every one of us, as we come into this month, and particularly now on Rosh Chodesh Adar, on the first day of the month of Adar. <clears throat> and it's a month that, of course, has that overtone of simcha, that overtone of joy and that underscore of joy, which we need to stick to and we need to think about and we need to be part of. Now, the fact that um, we're told by the Talmud that Mishenichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, which means when the month of Adar comes in, we increase in joy, actually tells us something significant about the, let's call it the default setting of the Jewish people at all times. Jews at all times are instructed by God by the Torah to be Basimcha. We need a happiness factor at all times. There needs to be that positive outlook at all times. We need to be smiling rather than crying. We need to be positive rather than negative. We need to be bright rather than dull. We need to be light rather than dark. And this is at all times. When the month of Adar comes in, we're instructed that we need to actually move the graph a little bit above, a little bit beyond the norm. So ordinarily and normally you would be in a positive frame of mind, you would be happy, you would have a positive dispensation, you would be looking for the light rather than looking for the darkness. During the month of Adar, we're obligated to move that up a notch, to turn up the spiritual volume a little bit, to be a little bit more positive, to be to have a little bit more positive energy and not to focus on the negative at all, to think 
in a positive frame of mind. And if you think we're dreaming, well, perhaps we are dreaming. And perhaps the dream is actually the way that King David told us in the Psalms that this is a world that is actually the dream. The reality is the world that we hope and pray for in the future. This is the dream world. And from time to time, yes, you, you have to agree, a little bit of a nightmare kind of a world. But this is the dream, and that's the reality. It's just the way that we look at it. And so let's readjust our focus, and let's spend some time thinking about how we are going to be a little more positive, how we're going to be a little bit more besimcha, a little bit happier during this month. It is a great thing to do, and it's going to bring about great results for us and for all those around us, ultimately for our people, for our country, and for the entire world. Now... Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So let's revert back. Let's think about the concept of Rosh Chodesh Adar, of this idea of having to be, of needing to be besimcha, of being positive, of being joyous. Now, I think that I'm right in saying that a lot of people may be sitting there and saying, you know, but um, it's unreal, it's unrealistic. We're sitting here and we've got all these problems, we've got all these issues. Um, it's not only the darkness, but it happens to be um, the fact that we um, are short of money and it happens to be that um, we've got problems in the family and maybe we have some health issues, God forbid, and there are all of these things. How can the Torah, how can Judaism kind of say to you, be happy? Be happy. Well, you know, um, the fact of the matter is that just from a purely, purely, personal and psychological point of view, I guess, every time you encourage yourself to be positive and to be happy, it does actually help. It pushes you in that right direction. And every time you set out or you send out a a, uh, a message from yourself of positive energy, it is so infectious. Um, think about it. Who would you rather sit at, sit at a meal with, somebody who's positive or who's negative? Who would you rather be in a room with, someone who's positive and who's negative? If you're a normal person, you're going to, and of course you're going to tell me, well, what's normal? If you're a normal person, of course, we want to be surrounded by positive energy. We want to be surrounded by positive people. It makes you feel much better. It makes things so much more productive. There is nothing worse than sitting around with people who are just talking doom and gloom and negative stuff. And although they might say, but that's reality. I would challenge that and say that's not reality. That's the reality that you have in your head. In fact, it is the old system or the old idea of is the glass half full or the glass half empty. It depends on how you look at it. One can look at anything dark and gloomy and one can think about um, it being dark and gloomy and negative or you can think about the opportunity, the opportunity that it creates for you to create light, for you to light up the world. I have used before, I guess, even on this show, <clears throat> a story that is well known, that is well told about two um, shoe salesmen who set out and they were sent to set up in somewhere in a northern African country many years ago. <clears throat> and uh, perhaps it was the time of emails, perhaps it was the time of other kinds of communications, probably telegrams that were sent in those days and not the type of telegram that we sent today, but one that you actually probably had to go to the post office and get them to send via telex machine. Here they sent telegrams. The first guy sent home a telegram from his position where he said, this is a dark and gloomy place. It is a negative place, and it's a place where nobody wears shoes. 
And because nobody wears shoes, how did the company think, how did you think to send me to such a place where there are no shoe-wearing people? How am I ever going to make a living? I'm on my way home, and uh, this has been a failed venture. And the other fellow sent home a telegram to say, um, I have arrived in this place, and it is incredible. And nobody wears shoes. I have so many opportunities to sell every single person in this country a pair of shoes. What a golden opportunity. And hopefully we'll see success after success in this country. It all depends on how you look at it. Are we going to look at the negative? Are we going to look at the darkness? Are we going to be able to see through that darkness? Are we going to be able to have the kind of light that our forefathers had in Egypt, the Or B'moshvotam, the light that was in their dwelling places and their ability to see not only ordinary things, but to be able to see the most spiritual, the most incredibly powerful, the most wonderful things that lie and that lay behind that darkness. It's all about how we look at it. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So when we, in the final analysis, look at that statement, Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Basimcha, as with everything in Judaism, this isn't just a statement that it just happens, that happy times now begin, that this is the good times are going to start rolling. Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Basimcha perhaps is much more of an instruction to us to actually make it happen. It is up to each and every one of us to do something to bring simcha, to do something to bring joy, to bring happiness. If you were thinking of walking into the room right now with a long face, turn on a smile. If you were thinking of giving somebody a negative piece of news or negative advice, turn it around and give them something positive to think about. If you were thinking of um, quitting your position, your job, your uh, um, where you are, or perhaps even the country where you live or the town that you live in, think of the light that perhaps you could shed and that you could bring to the place where you are. It's not only about the politicians and it's not only about the atmosphere in the country and it's not only about what everybody else says or what the news channels uh, like to carry, but it's about what we can do. And we are gifted that we are in an environment and in a place where we truly can make a difference. It's all up to us. It's up to us to take up that cudgel and to make joy, to make simcha, to make happiness. And uh, just one of the ways perhaps that we can think about it is to make joyous occasions, um, spend time thinking about inviting friends over and having a party. Have a party for Purim, but have a party also for a Friday night for a Shabbat. Um, have a good time with your friends in an appropriate and a positive and a good atmosphere of Shabbat, of Yom Tov, of Chagim and so on. Or perhaps you didn't celebrate correctly uh, when it came to the birth of a child or a bris or a bar mitzvah or whatever. Go for it. Do it. Make it happen. Um, perhaps you've been thinking for a long, long time about whether you should actually pop the question and get engaged. Now's the time. Opportunity for Simcha. It's an opportunity to uh, ask her, or if he's not asking, you ask him. Um, perhaps shouldn't we uh, create a family? Shouldn't we settle down? Shouldn't we bring more Simcha into this world? There are those kind of opportunities as well. Let's be positive. Let's be happy. And it all starts from now. I wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, and I look forward to being back with you same time, same place. Please, God, next week on Judaism 101.9.